0: In the previous episode of the Divine verse diaries, we understood a brief about what really transpires between the foreign ministries of both the countries, India as well as China when such standoffs or tense atmospheres at border happen. In his book, India's China Challenge, A Journey Through China's Rise and What It Means for India, Anand Krishnan has quite in a detail written about what really transpires among the ministries both the Indian Ministry and the Chinese Ministry as well as what really happens behind closed doors. We were talking about Dokulam to Galwan. The standoff that happened in 2017 was Doklam, and right now that's happening is Galwan. In the previous episode, we culminated with Liu Yuan's statement of 2017 where he stated that he really doesn't want to engage in a war against India as it was not an India of 1962. But if they really did, he firmly stated that India would lose again. Such statements are fiery ones, these are ones that could really, you know, really could destroy the kind of good relationship that two countries have. It can really destroy the bilateral relationship that two countries possess as pure gems. As we continue, one reason for China's public posturing like this one was that Dokla was different than the usual India-China bilateral disputes. Both sides knew these occurred because of an undemarcated LAC or the line of actual control. Here India had crossed an international boundary to enter into Bhutan, into land it certainly didn't have a claim to, which was seen by China as crossing a red line. This posturing did, however, mark a new Chinese approach that we would see repeated in future boundary crises that followed. The PLA daily, the army's official newspaper termed the approach during the double crisis an information warfare strategy aimed to fully integrate the publicity forces of public opinion, radio, television, newspapers and social media and carry out a multi-wave and high-density centralized publicity in a fixed period of time to form favourable public opinion situation to allow for a final victory. The PLA's Western Theatre Command said in 2017 analysis of the Doklam Media Strategy that seizing the initiative was key in the struggle for public opinion It asserted the aim was to make India succumb without a confrontation between the two armies, adding that the approach served lessons for future struggles. In Beijing, the view among people I spoke to, says Mr Krishnan, was that the timing of China's muscle flexing over the Doklam incident amid most sweeping reforms of the armed forces was no coincidence. The military's massive transformation that Xi Jinping, the Chinese President, had pushed for, had created its own stresses and uncertainties. In the past too, public or the PLA observers said such circumstances had led the army to adopt a hard-line posture, driven both by domestic and political considerations, as well as the need to rally public support for the military. In the lead-up to the PLA's 90th anniversary, for instance, its officers publicly pledged their allegiance to Xi and showered praise on his reforms. Former PLA officers even used the Doklam incident to attack army critics and demand total support for the military. Since Xi Jinping took over as the General Secretary of the Communist Party of China and became President of the People's Republic of China in November 2012 and March 2013 respectively, Perhaps the most marked difference from his predecessors, Hu Jintao, has been in his dealings with the military. Under the terms of his succession as head of the party and as president, Xi was also given his third post, Chairman of the Central Military Commission or the CMC, putting him in the unique position of commanding the party, government, and the military all at one place. On October or On February 1, 2016, she announced that the PLA daily described as the largest scale military reform since the 1950s. The reform cemented its direct control over every sphere of the vast military, which was for decades, functioned as a state within the main components, the Army, Navy, Air Force and 2nd Artillery Corps that commands missiles and nuclear weapons. The PLA had been run by a vast bureaucracy spread over the four General Departments, General Staff, Political, Logistics, and Armament. These were largely autonomous freedoms. Favoured Generals promoted their own, lined their pockets, and ruled over vast bureaucracies and commercial interests worth billions. In January 2016, Xi, in a one swift stroke, disbanded the four departments and brought them under the direct control of the CMC or the Central Military Commission. Cut to size, they were placed at par with 15 smaller specialized functional service departments including one devoted to anti-corruption, and discipline inspection. She described the move as a dramatic breakthrough made in the reform of the military leadership and command system. So, for the first time in the PLA's history, the CMC took control of its entire administration. A second major reform was consolidating what were earlier earliest seven sprawling military area commands covering China's entire territory into five theatre commands to be responsible for combat readiness and to report directly to the CMC. For the first time, the five theatres also had a joint command of integrated land, air and navy services, in addition to two new services that had been set up, a PLA rocket force that would be scaled up, secondary artillery corps and control china's missiles and a PLA strategic support force which would according to observers include an expanded cyber warfare division you see this cyber warfare quite new term right but china has been working extensively on cyber warfare also what it calls an intellectual warfare it really doesn't involve any guns or heavy damage to uh, the forces of enemies or of their counterparts, but instead it involves subduing the enemy via a range of cyber attacks, which is quite interesting for a country like China, which is an emerging superpower. The reforms were overdue, says Mr. Krishnan, for all the impressions of the PLA, both in China and overseas. As a fearsome fighting unit, its recent history has been anything but glorious. Its last real experience of combat against the Vietnamese in 1979, which continued in sporadic clashes until the mid-1980s, was a wake-up call, leaving the Chinese with a bloodied nose. The PLA hasn't been in major combat since, but two recent episodes that tested its capabilities caused its top brass and military observers in Beijing. Cementing the perception that a once hardly revolutionary army that fought the Americans in Korea, bested India, and challenged the Russians had become a bloated outfit, whose generals concentrating more on the army's vast commercial interests than in training troops. The first episode came in May 28 when a devastating earthquake struck western Sichuan province, claiming over 70,000 lives. The PLA was called in to lead the rescued effort. The quake struck remote areas, but it was not entirely out of reach of the PLA's sprawling headquarters in the provincial capital, Chengdu. The response, however, was slow and lumbering, in fact that it prompted an internal inquest in overhauling training at all levels. Barely a year later came the second test, when mobs of armed Uyghurs went on a rampage in Urubi, capital of the Muslim majority Xinjiang province, setting buildings afire and slaughtering Han Chinese residents for over two days. Again, the army's response was found wanting. One former official of the Parliamentary Unit, the People's Armed Police, what I happened to sit next on a flight. Ainu spoke with surprising candour recalled the confusion in the chain of command and chaos. All of this is written in more detail in what Mr. Krishnan calls his book, India's China Challenge, which is indeed a challenge as China rises to the superpower status. In this podcast, we understood China's own conquest of overhauling its own military which was loversome and slow. So what really happens when two armies of world's most advancing superpowers meet at contested waters, meet at contested territories? Let's find out in the next episode of the Divine Bus Diaries. Until then, this is your host Ajinkya signing off. Stay safe, wear a mask and take care.